birth is so triggered, right? Like you get to sink into your body and you get to realize that right now in this moment, there's over 8 billion people on the planet. And every single one of those people had to be born. What's up, beautiful awakened beings? Welcome to another episode of Awakened Love. Today we have midwife Lindsay Milis, who for the past 20 years has worked in healthcare, but has found herself working in the shadows of the night, helping women discover their own strength through psychedelic transcendent experiences while they birth their babies in power at home. Now, she is trained traditionally and licensed through the medical board, but quickly learned that what is needed in the magic and mystery of birth and death cannot be found in a book. I'm so grateful to be exploring that magic and mystery of birth with her today. And so we're going to dive right in. So we were just talking before hitting record and things were getting so good that I was like, hold on, Lindsay, hold that thought. I need to hit record. So I want to backtrack a little bit. We were talking about how both of us have experienced um, trolls online and how, you know, when you expand your reach that that can happen. And I said that I had had this conversation with Spirit after being on the Mark Hyman podcast about me wanting to crawl into a hole and hide (laughs) and just not be super visible and just do my work quietly um, on this mountaintop. And spirit said to me, you know, are you willing to be crucified in the name of this work? Like, are you really willing to carry this work? And I said, oh boy, yes. (laughs) And you were sharing about the word crucifixion and I'll let you dive off from there. Yeah. So I was just sharing, like, I too am in this situation where with more public exposure, we have this like deep sense of where we actually need to step into what it is to be crucified. And I love the history of it. It's one of the things I'm super passionate about learning more about. And there's so much literature out there. None of it agrees with each other. It's so repressed. Everything's so hidden. Uh, but we, what we do know is in 1484, there was a book that was written called The Witch's Hammer. And The Witch's Hammer came and they basically said that the greatest threat to the Catholic Church is midwives. And so... Throughout all of time, but specifically from that date forward, any woman that has spoken out against anything that's against what the like politics of that current theme and era is, we have to make that decision to potentially be crucified. And it's something that's really hard for women to accept because there's such deep sister wounds within all of the lineages of women that have come before us because of the threat of death. And not even just the threat of death, but like watching our children die or, Mm. you know, being separated from and outcast from our community. And it's something that's really, really hard to get past. And um, I remember reading something that Joe Rogan wrote once and he was like, never read the comments, never read the comments. (laughs) And it's something that's so hard for me that I come from a place of being fully heart centered and everything that I say, I want women to feel empowered and not shamed by. And so when you have these trolls that come into the internet space and you're like, this is not my message and this is not my authentic truth, but you're saying that's what it is. So I'm going to let you stay in your projection and I'm going to stay over here and not read the comments. (laughs) Yep. Don't read the comments, people. That is the truth. And it's tricky, right? Like I had a really good friend of mine say this to me and I was like, oof. And he was like, he has a lot more, 
he has a lot more exposure than I do. And thankfully I have quite a few friends that I could go to that have far more exposure. And they were like, Oh honey, even my husband, he was like, babe, (laughs) when he started his YouTube channel or he was like the face of HelloFresh in the UK, he's like, people, you should read the shit that people say about, have said about me. And I was just like, Oh Lord. And everyone was like, yeah, one, don't read the comments. But my other friend said this interesting thing. He was like, look, if there's any, like, see if you can actually be in the state of consciousness where it's like, is there any truth to that? Mm-hmm. Some of them are just like super mean and highly unnecessary, or mm-hmm. as you said, distortions, projections. And you're like, well, that's not necessary. But he's like, you, you know, you don't need to keep reading. But any of the things that you read, does any of it like ring true or is any of it playing on insecurities that you have? Of course, of course. You know? That's like a and- really huge thing because then you get to breathe into your trigger. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, I'm worried people think that about me. Mm-hmm. Or I'm worried, like, at least for me that I was like, oh man, like, okay, that's good for me to see. Like I said to you, I was kind of used to people just being like, yay, angel. And I was like, well, this is really good for me. <laughs> this is yeah. really good for my ego. But then there's the other parts that are not constructive. But anyways, I want to dive into what you were talking about around the fact that, so midwives were really connected to the witch trials, would you say? Like, what's oh, they up with were that? the like the heart and soul of the witch trials, and it's something that's just not talked about a lot. Um, and if you look at it, so basically, when men in the space, men and women, they all turned on each other, came into the space of thinking of all this magic and mystery that surrounded what women are. Um, You know, like one of the most important things that they started looking at is that we bleed and we don't die. And so that just in itself was like, how do these creatures, how do these women bleed and not die? And so everything started circling around that. And then they started coming into this space where Western medicine moved in. And it wasn't the herbs that, you know, were grown in the local town. And it wasn't the ability to, um, you make like a, like an onion poultice to put on someone's feet. Like it was literally like healing had to come from a higher source. Now, trust me, I so believe in the power of prayer. I think the power of prayer is such an important aspect to any healing. But it really got villainized that these earth workers, that these midwives, these women that were ostracized for creating healing within communities were literally burned at the stake in front of their families, in front of their children. And women would turn against women and turn other women in. And, you know, even men in the community, if they had sexual attraction towards another woman, then it was on the woman, not the man. Like, God forbid the the man have the feeling that what they were thinking was, you know, wrong. And it was because mm. that that woman had magical powers that lured them in. And so there's just so much to deep dive into. And there's, there was millions of women killed during that time. Like it was literally like an entire like memory, all the stories, all of that important history, which I call herstory was just Mm. plucked away. And so Mm. another piece of the conversation that we were having before we hit record is that Whenever women see undisturbed, normal physiological birth, there's usually this really innate feeling that comes out like as this effervescent emotion. And, um, you know, it's because we, we say seven generations back is what we remember in our bones from our ancestors. And so seven generations, like that was mm-hmm. like in the middle of all of this. This was, this was our great, great, great grandmas that were in the middle of this in Europe. And that's just what we have written literature of. Like it for sure mm-hmm. was before. Um, but, but in the, the beginnings of that patriarchy, it was eliminating the magic and the mystery that were created by women sitting in circles together, 
by sitting in circles of women bleeding together in their red tents. Um, and and it, at that point, it was it was dangerous to be a woman. Yeah, I've heard that, and I don't know um, whether you, you've heard this too, but that not only were the midwives or the wisdom carriers killed, but their sisters, their mothers, and their daughters yeah. to truly try to st- extinguish the yeah. knowledge, essentially. And what's so sad is that we see that repeated, right? We see that repeated um, in colonial um, massacres where they try to take First Nations people and destroy their ability to keep telling their stories and to pass their wisdom down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, sadly, this this is, we have um, examples of when people feel threatened by something they don't understand and how they try to extinguish it. Um, it's actually interesting because I look at kind of the divide that we have today. Yeah. That was what I was just going to say. Such yeah, a division we're today. It out. It's still, yeah. it's still, playing. we're not like, like burning women at the stake in the public town centers, <clears throat> but like cancel culture, oh, yeah. uh, the, the huge division that we have in this country and across the world, like politically speaking, like it's all to divide us and make us not remember that we're all the same. Like we're yes. all, we all come, you know, come from the womb of a woman. We are all birth. We all have a heart where we all start with this pure beginning. And once we step into that division, that's when people become addicts and there's trauma and there's abuse and there's all these other mm-hmm. things. So it's, it's still, we're still in the middle of this witch hunt, if you will, but just in a different capacity. Yes. Especially I noticed, particularly during COVID, I know mm-hmm. it's so boring. We don't want to talk about it, but just as far as like the divide in the medical kind of in the way that we um, perceive medical care mm-hmm. and, you know, natural physicians or um, functional medicine physicians or um, natural birth facilitators or anyone who kind of took a stand for the body as a holistic system that has the capacity to heal that sometimes needs to be supported. I saw got super vilified. It was really interesting. And I, I, I think that it all comes from fear, right? And I can understand this from my own sort of family dynamic. And I was back in Australia, I think probably two years ago now, and towards the end of a good family holiday with my husband, the first time in Australia. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This has gone so well. There's been no arguments. How fantastic. And right towards the end of the trip, something came up about when Patrick and I have children and some kind of a thing. And I made a comment. I was like, well, I won't be in hospital. I'll be at home. And my parents and my husband both got super triggered. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that we all had such differing opinions. And I could feel they were scared for me. They, mm-hmm. they, were, they were scared. But I am scared to be in a hospital mm-hmm. if I can avoid it. I'm scared of what will happen to me there. And so I can kind of see that like I have this fear and they have this fear and it's just manifesting in different ways. And do you see that in the work that you do? And, and how do you suggest we bridge that divide if we have different fears? Yeah. So fear is a really, really big one. And that's usually from like propaganda that comes out from just misinformation. It's not like they're like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. It's literally like they just don't have the information that's needed in order to say like, that's actually a really safe alternative. And um, within the medical community, not only is it fear-based, but it's liability-based. And then there's the, the vilification of basically a 
mafia, if you will, um, of big farm that's coming in and making billions of dollars on people. And I'm not anti-medicine. Like I am the last person that's anti-medicine. It's a crucial part of, of how we survive. But when you have a machine that is making billions of dollars off the heads of sick people every single year, then we're going to have this push because it's just human nature. It's it's like they've created a monopoly on our health. And so that weaves into the childbirth system because when you look at even how the insurance companies are run. The insurance companies are in bed with all of the major American Medical Association, the FDA, all of those things. And when you have those things connected, then what happens is if I have somebody that's coming to me to give birth and that the cost, the actual cost of them to give birth in the hospital ranges anywhere from, let's say, $18,000 to if they had a C-section all the way up to $50,000. When they come to me, I don't take insurance. I'm all cash pay. So you have somebody that's looking at, if I go to the hospital, it's free. And the insurance companies will cover my my expense. Or if I want something that's different, I'm coming about $10,000 out of pocket. Maybe my insurance will reimburse me a little bit. But usually that's a big price tag for people to make the commitment to as they're starting a family or expanding their family. So there's so many interwoven layers, but they're all connected. And it's all Mm. about having control over this beast of a medical society, this community that is so divided and it's it's so interesting because I've been in in the medical field since I was 17 so I've watched so much of it change and evolve over time and 2020 was like actual insanity like like what is happening how is this real life like how have we gone this far and now we're like set back another you know 50 years and then to watch the childbirth system change so much like we Mm. were at a point in 2020 where women weren't even being allowed partners to come in and give birth with them like that's crazy. Like, like yeah. all this progressiveness around our femininity and this, you know, like whole uh, women's movement, like overnight gone. And so, I mean, we were loud enough to, you know, get some stuff moved and shaked within that. But like, I have a friend right now that works in the hospital system. I, I like fully stepped out of the hospital system unless I, of course, have to transfer somebody in, which is really rare. Um that she says like every time that she steps into the hospital as a doula supporting a woman giving birth at the hospital, she feels like she's going to war. And Mm. I would echo that. And again, this is not an anti-hospital message. It's just that now we have post 2020, we have healthcare providers that are burnt the hell out. There's so much division, even within the systems within the hospital of now looking at what's happened and having a complete distrust for the information that we were told and everybody's just spinning their wheels. And so there, this, this is not how anybody should be entering into giving birth. This is not how anybody should be entering through a pregnancy where we're growing a new life and we're basically this garden for this soul that's growing. It needs to be this like rich, fertile soil that we're growing them in. And if you're in this fear-based system, it's like getting sprayed with a weed killer every time. 
And so there yes. needs to be this huge flip. And I feel like people are waking up. We know they are. They're, 2020, if you compare statistics between 2019 and 2020 with home birth, home birth inc- increased 22%. And it's not that home birth is 22% of the births. There was just a 22% increase within the home birth community. Um, my husband actually owns a birth kit company where we have women that order birth kits in order for them to have give birth at home. It's different midwife supplies. In March, it was like actual insanity. Like we're like March of 2020. We're like, what is happening? Like nobody's going to give birth at home or give birth in the hospital anymore because nobody's desiring to be there. So it's just been, it's been so interesting to step back as a, as someone that's been in this for, you know, 20 plus years and be like, okay, like what's going to happen next now, people? Yes. Yes. I think it was what I noticed is like, I just had questions and I was like, why aren't I allowed to have questions? Yeah. You know, that's when I start to get concerned. If yeah. anyone who's critically thinking and saying, cause I was pretty early starting to say, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And at first my husband was like, stop it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. you're going down a rabbit hole. And I was like, no, I'm not actually. Mm-hmm. And I, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what's happening, but it's not adding up. Mm -hmm. And I started to present the information to him and he was like, that doesn't add up. You're right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard because Mm -hmm. it felt like we weren't allowed to ask questions. And even amongst friends and people you love, it's just like people were scared and people want to believe that when things are really hard and scary, that we can trust our government, that we can trust the protection agencies, the medical system, the pharma system, which is very, very strategic, right? Like they, they know that, like, that's something that is all part of this is that they know if there's fear that people just blindly trust, like ignorance is bliss. And so people like me and you who have this remembering, that's not like so deeply buried within our bodies, like I mean, I think for the first week of it, it was kind of like a shock and awe. Like, what the hell is going on? Is this real? Or like, is totally is, is this? Pe- are people really going to start dropping dead? I remember like videos of people dropping dead in the streets of China, and I'm like, oh god, can you imagine if that happens here? And then like, I did one birth in a mask, one, and after that birth, I was like, there's no human connection here. I will never do that again. I don't even care. Like, I will risk my life so women can feel loved and supported, and within that like week period, I was like, same, like there's something's not adding up. Like we're losing our autonomy at rapid speeds right here. Like what is going on? Like I remember from, you know, six generations back or whatever it was in my lineage that like this same crap happened. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, We have to be able to ask questions. That was, that's what I would say to anyone listening who is feeling, let's say triggered right now. Probably not. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are. Yeah. But if (laughs) you are, if you are like, maybe. Yeah. But also I encourage you guys to take a deep breath into that. Yeah. You know, like that's such a huge thing. Like, like it's so important for us to like, if we're like, holy, what are these crazy people saying? (laughs) Uh, You know, but like, but like really and truthfully, like, you know, deep within your soul, the truth. Yes. And it's worth questioning. I would just 100%. say, just be, just be in the curiosity. And if anyone is trying to stop you from having questions, you know, it's okay if people have different answers to your answers, but if someone's trying to stop you from asking a question, mm-hmm. I'm like a hell no to that. That yeah. in my body is like, I would die for the right to ask a question. Yeah. So like we can have different answers. That's all good. But to ask 
questions has to be okay. And I think that around birth, particularly, um, there isn't a lot of room sometimes in the Western model to ask questions for women. I haven't given birth, but from I was telling you before we hit record, you were like, how did you find me? And I was like, you know, on Instagram, I get lost in these holes of natural birth. I don't know why it's one of my little quirks. I really, and I was telling you, I get super emotional watching women give birth. And, you know, I've, so I've read a lot of women's stories around this and I hear that, and it's not every story. Some women have great hospital births, but mm-hmm. other women feel not listened to, like they can't ask questions, like they don't have time for them. Um, and so I'm curious, what do you think is the biggest lie that we've been sold about birth? We are medicine women. We serve the medicine that has no name. The silent creative force that animates every voice, every life. We serve her, the energy in every woman that introduces her before she even speaks the not-so-subtle force that creates and destroys worlds, all in the name of evolution, the heartbeat of actualization that beckons you in your dreams. We hold the relational field of safety and presence so that you can remember who you are and why you have come, so that you can start serving the world your greatest gift, you, unleashed. We've had many names, witches, healers, sages, artists, mystics, and madwomen, but we serve that which can never truly be named, only felt, the love we all are in truth. We have been killed and persecuted for carrying this work, but we just keep being reborn. We are relentless in our loving, to wake up the relentless loving in you, the truth. The next somatic psycho-spiritual apprenticeship is now enrolling. I'm looking for the next eight sincere spiritual seekers ready to expand into their next level of service and mastery as facilitators. Apprenticeship is one of the most ancient models for learning that we have because it works. Do you want to sit in a classroom or do you want to work at the side of someone whose work you respect and admire? To learn all they have to teach by making the teachings real in your own body and your own experience. Thriving as a healer, thriving as a facilitator is about attaining mastery at what you do. There is no five-step quantum leap shortcut to that. Thank God, our souls came for the process of becoming. So if you're ready, let's begin. You can find more info and book your free zero obligation discovery call at www.angeldrake.com forward slash SPA spa. Uh, that birth is an emergency that we need to be rescued from, hands down. Oof. That's, oh. I mean, that's, and that's the basis of what's taught in obstetrical care. Um, that's in the textbooks. Like there is an obstetrical model of care that literally says that this is an emergency that we need to save women from. And so if we enter as a healthcare provider into that, that immediately makes me a savior. And that immediately mm. takes my ego thinking that, I know what's better for someone's body than what they know. And so when I have women that enter into my space in my office, I sit them down and like our office is really sweet. It's like this super family friendly space and it feels like a home. And I start by saying, I want you to know that I inherently trust that you are the expert in your own body. I will always be here with you, Mm -hmm. but 
I want you to know that if you ask me for advice, I'll give you what my experience and my knowledge is, but I will always end it by asking, how does that feel to you? Because that's the most important piece. And I promise you, like, I i mean, my whole life is intuition-based. I live life through my intuition. And so I'm usually on the same page with a lot of women, most of my clients. But they know. Like, they, yes. they, they know their bodies. They know their babies. And for us to assume otherwise is is insanity. Yeah, it's so wild that, like, someone's telling you, what to do and when to do it when they're not inside your body having the lived feeling experience instead of teaching women I imagine like when you feel this Mm -hmm. inside your body you're gonna know and what that could mean is this like wow imagine even just listening like not just um in birth care but imagine just in like healthcare in general if people listened to you and actually believed you about the symptoms or the experiences that you're having so My husband has a lot of questions and I think this could be interesting for anyone who let's say they do know and they are like, I do, I I would want to have a home birth, but I'm scared. And I think, you know, my husband's line of questioning might be good from that perspective Mm because he's kind of like, I'm willing to be convinced, but the way that he sees it right now and what he says to me is he's like, you are the most important thing in my life. And if you're carrying our child, Mm -hmm. you are now carrying, you you are and you have within you the two, my whole world. And so his fear is like, he's like, I can't even risk. I can't even risk that. He's like, I could never live with myself. He's like, you know, he's really, he's in that. And, and he's also like, and I'm willing to have my mind changed. So for anyone listening, and maybe if you have a partner that, <laughs> that feels the same way I this. do. Yeah. Yeah. We could answer these questions and then we can, you can share this podcast with them. So how does that feel? I love that. I think it's so perfect. And I think it's something that if you really take a step back and look throughout time, like my biggest thing is, is great grandma wisdom. Like what would our cave grandmas do? And for all of time, men have been our protectors right? Mm. So they would be the ones outside the cave, making sure that there was no threat of, of danger. There was no lion or whatever approaching the cave. And that's what their job was, was protection. So now, I mean, I know there's people that still have the threat of lions in our world, but for the majority of people living in the Western world, that is not our, uh, you know, our threat system. And so men have now transferred that to saying like, it's my job to protect you. You're the most important person in my life. I would never want anything to happen to you. So I would probably say like 95% of men come into my office super like, I, this, I'm only here because of my wife. Like, I don't want, I, you know, like if this is her idea, hundred percent, I don't think it's a good idea. And I'm like, you're my favorite. You are my favorite because what you're going to realize is that you have the ability to protect your wife in such a deeper level because when men enter into a medical system where there are no options and care is dictated, they're basically, I've had one dad, well, I should say many dads say to me that what it felt like was watching their wives be raped without being able to do anything. Right. Like it's because it's a oh it's medical care. It's from a doctor. It's standard Oof. of care. You're not supposed to question these things. But the innate imprint that that left on their their psyche was that somebody was violating their wife and they could not oh. do it. And I had that same experience so many times when I worked in the hospital. I felt like an accomplice to a crime. And the healthcare oh. providers aren't doing it in a sense where they want to violate women and make that sensation be felt. 
It's the way that they're trained. It's the way that medical school is. It's just how care is assumed and given to others. It's not because they're bad people. It's because of, of how their training was. So when, when these husband realize like, okay, now I actually get to be in my own domain. Like this is my own sacred space that we've created together. And the person that's entering into my house to help my wife give birth has been through the entire process of pregnancy. She's my wife's dear friend at this point. She knows everything about her body. Like she's, she's, she's learned her body over the course of the last 10 moons. She's learned the baby and what's normal for the baby over the course of that last 40 weeks and she's entering into the space lovingly and wanting to provide an experience that's transformative. And yeah. I, I'm speaking for myself. Not all midwives are created equal, but I know yes. that there is a lot of midwives that that provide the same sort of level of care that I give. And so then the man goes, Oh, okay. Mm. This is safer. And home birth is not for everybody. If you enter into this as a high risk in terms of like health conditions, like if you have like cardiac problems or like, you know, seizures or something like that, like home birth is not for you. There's a reason that the hospital's there. There's a reason that there's higher level of care providers there. But for a normal low risk woman, the, the physiological process that happens at a home birth is so much safer when it's provided at home. And there are so many studies that say opposite, but if you look at like European nations where, or like Japan or like anybody that actually has midwives at the forefront of care and is pro midwife, it's because it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people where here we aren't well supported in the system. Like going to a hospital is awful. I don't care. I'll go in no matter what if we need to go to the hospital, but there is such an issue with um, receiving like 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 what's called a home birth transfer that there's so many midwives that are like resistant like oh I don't know if it's time to go in yet I don't know if it's time to go in yet and it's because of this animosity that's between care providers where my biggest thing is like bridge the gap if you don't like me that's fine if you don't like what they're doing that's fine but I did not hold a gun to our head and keep her at home this was an informed decision this is something that yep. is really important that we identify that she made her own decision to give birth at home and if you actually look at the level of education of people that are giving birth at home it's usually all higher education it's usually people that are in the higher income brackets it's you know like people that are really doing this research I also try to have an outreach within the community where like, let me give you the data. Let me show Mm. you like firefighters. If I activate EMS, let me tell you what a midwife is and what we actually have the capacity to do because you coming into the space, if I need you would be like you coming onto the scene of somebody having a heart attack and having a cardiologist there. I'm just using you as a ride to the hospital because we need a higher level of care. So there's just so many facets to it, but like once men like sink in, into that and they realize mm-hmm. the level of safety and like individualized care that's there it feels so different like immediately and then they can go into all these other things which I'm sure you'll ask me but that's the biggest <laughs> piece right there yeah and it was interesting like hearing you talk about how with your midwifery practice there's this intention like you're getting to know a woman's body over 10 moons and I, I imagine that previously that would have been how it was done. Like it would be your mother or your grandmother or the midwife of the community Mm -hmm. that knows you and knows your body. And granted, I don't want to romanticize it. Like childbirth used to be very dangerous Mm -hmm. for women. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, that was very true. It's still dangerous. Like it, like, like the level of care that's given, 
especially within the United States. I know that sounds crazy because like the United States is like the forefront of Western medicine, like women and children's or babies, I should say, still die every single day in childbirth. So there is this innate fear that we have within ourselves because throughout time, like it is something that can be dangerous when the right level of care isn't given. And so that's Mm. something that people need to take a step back and realize is like, but why? You know, like, but why? Is it because they're not a trusted caregiver there that has known this woman from the beginning of her menstruation or from the beginning of her conception journey? And like, what does that look like? And maybe the things that we're doing, like, you know, like maybe the rate of infection after a C-section being so much higher is causing a lot of problems or you know, maybe because of the levels of nutrition and the quality of nutrition and the depleted soil that we have within our systems that's not giving these babies enough nutrients and minerals to, you know, have good outcomes. There's so many questions that should be asked because we should be leading the level of infant and mortality care. And we are like abysmal, like, like bad, like, like one of the worst in westernized worlds. Yes. So I'm recognizing in this moment, I feel scared. Yeah, yeah. good, 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 good. <laughs> and anyone listening might feel scared. So I want to like name that. And yeah. I also don't want, don't want women to feel scared. I want them to feel empowered. So how can we make that shift? Yeah. So what do we so need to know? What I always like to say is that when you identify that level of feeling scared, I mean, is it fear-based or is it you actually being afraid? And so usually most people like are like, oh, that's actually fear. And so you get to just take this nice deep breath because birth is so triggered, right? Like you get to sink into your body and you get to realize that right now in this moment, there's over 8 billion people on the planet mm-hmm. and every single one of those people had to be born. Yeah. So birth innately works, right? Like mm-hmm. it's something that like in order to be alive, you had to be born, Yes. So for all of time, birth has worked. Yeah. Birth, and so birth works. <laughs> birth works. Birth is as safe as life gets. There is inherent risk with everything that we do. But Ooh, birth I love that. is it's it's literally as safe as life gets. And so we yeah. get to sink into the knowing of that. And we get Mm -hmm. to realize that with everything that has the inherent risk, that we get to go through and say, like, am I willing to take that risk? What are the actual risks? What are the alternatives? What are the benefits? And then we get to come back to the center, not from a place of fear, but from a place of stillness and a place Mm -hmm. of trust in trusting our bodies and realize Mm -hmm. that we get to make the decision for what's right for us. And we get to make the decision Mm -hmm. that we choose the care providers that will give us the level of care where there is no fear that we enter into birth with. Because Mm -hmm. one of the most important things for birth space is when a woman feels safe and feels connected. If those two missing pieces aren't there, then the hormones within our brains don't work the same way. Oof. Oh my God, it's the same for sex. Wow, that makes sense too, right? right? You have to feel safe and connected. Yeah. Is that connected to orgasmic or ecstatic birth? It is. It is. So so there's a couple of different ways to look at this. And I I don't usually like to use the word orgasmic because like people that have given birth or like people that have seen other people give birth, women give birth, they're like, I I never saw anybody have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And so we use the word orgasm as connected as a static, right? So there, there, it's, it's, I, 
have seen, I have seen a few people have rolling orgasms during birth, like, like literally <laughs> like, crossed, ladies. Yeah, fingers, fingers crossed, crossed. <laughs> but the experience of a normal undisturbed physiological birth is that of ecstasy. It is an ecstatic mm. experience. And everything mm. that I've ever learned about ecstatic birth is from witnessing this happen on a regular basis, but also from one of my friends, Dr. Sarah Buckley, who's an Australian. And she is the expert in all of the different little hormones that interweave together to create this ecstatic experience. And I always look at, at birth as this portal. It's this portal through this transformation. I actually just did a birth on Friday with um, a couple that brings groups down to Peru to do ayahuasca ceremonies with the shamans down there. And it was their first birth experience together. She has a couple older kids from a previous relationship. And the first thing that her husband said after the experience was, that was just like sitting in ceremony. That was just like being in ceremony. And so that's, and that's because of all these hormones. Like we actually release all of these hormones. The number one thing is oxytocin that's released in in birth. And Mm -hmm. there's a a famous um, obstetrician, Michelle Odont. And basically what he says is whatever facet of love that we consider oxytocin is involved. Anything. Mm -hmm. Sex. Yes. Me staring into your beautiful angelic eyes. Us having a heart connection, hugging your partner, whatever it is, mm. oxytocin is involved. So oxytocin in this space right now is here and present. And what mm. happens is it's this this love hormone that, that interweaves with the releasing to have contractions. But the other thing that oxytocin does is it creates this um, ejection reflex. So anything <laughs> that has ejection, right? So there's a couple different things that happen. So we can go straight to sperm. Like there's ejaculation, like men have to eject sperm out of their bodies in order to conceive a baby. The other piece is there's something that's called a fetal ejection reflex. And the fetal ejection reflex is when baby gets low enough within the pelvis, there's this ability as mom is pushing to literally eject her baby out. And they come out like little rockets. It's the coolest thing ever. And it doesn't happen every time, but there is the ability to have this ejection reflex that happens. I've seen that online. It's so wild. It's so cool. Now, (laughs) there's also the ejection reflex for the placenta. So commonly what's Mm. what happens in, you know, normal Western birth is that the placenta placenta is what's called the third stage management of the placenta. So the baby comes out. A lot of people don't even know that there's an organ inside of them after the baby, by the way. And But what's happened is this organ has created a home for your baby. And so as this, you know, we starts the uterus is nice and big and it starts to contract down after the baby's gone because there's no more space that the baby stretched the uterus out. And the placenta starts to adhere off the uterine wall, which is a survival technique because we need that wound to heal, so to speak. So the uterus continues to contract. In an optimal world, the baby would be on mom's chest and mom would be making eye contact with their baby and, you know, continuing to release all these love hormones. <laughs> Makes me emotional. <laughs> yeah. And baby, if, if, you, if you've never seen a, a breast crawl, it's so important to watch because just like puppies or kittens or any other mammal, they come out with the innate knowing of how to feed. And so they get 
they get on mom's chest and their little feet, like they're like little <laughs> like puppies, you know, they're like moving their little feet and they're actually contracting the uterus even more because their feet are in the direct relation to where our mom's uterus is. And then they're mm. kind of like bouncing their heads around a little bit, which is then causing that erectile tissue of the nipple to stand up, which then releases more oxytocin. And in this dynamic dance that happens between mom and baby following the birth, the placenta ejection reflex should be there. But in a hospital setting and sometimes in an out-of-hospital setting, depending on what your midwives do for the management of the placenta, is that they have something called the the third stage management of labor. And so they want that placenta out within 10 to 15 minutes. If the placenta is not out within 10 to 15 minutes, they're going in and doing manual removal of the placenta, which involves their hands pulling on this placenta to, you know, yank it out of the woman's body. They're using um, medications that elicit Pitocin is a synthetic version of oxytocin. So they're, you know, bypassing the body system and they're giving the Pitocin. Now, I carry Pitocin. I'm not anti-Pitocin. If, if I have a mom that is bleeding, I will use it no problem. But I once we allow that process to happen, that natural loop of the breast crawl and all of that, then we see such a dramatic decrease in any sort of postpartum hemorrhage. And if we let those oxytocin levels rise naturally on their own, it's the highest that they'll ever be unless, you know, whatever it is, how many babies you have. But at that point, every baby that you have, it's the highest that it will ever, ever be in your entire life because that's the bonding hormone. That's the hormone where you <laughs> fall deeply in love with your baby. And it initiates within you this like mama bear where you're like, oh my gosh, in this moment, I already knew that I love my baby. I could feel my baby moving inside of me and we had this connection in utero. But in this moment, I would die for this baby and I would do anything for this baby's safety. And I've never loved anything as much as this baby in this moment. And so it's all there for a reason. Like the, like it's all there for a reason. And then we bring in all the endorphins and the beta endorphins. And those are the hormones that initiate this sense of transcendence and this sense of euphoria and this sense of mm-hmm. having this altered state of consciousness experience in that moment. And it's so beautiful. So that is ecstatic birth. That is the body's innate system working. So we have these imprints that carry us throughout our life with, you know, the rest of our life and the knowing of, A, how important love is, but B, Mm -hmm. how strong moms are in that experience. And when, when they, when they are aware of the strength that they bring throughout that experience, throughout the rest of their life, they enter into motherhood knowing that they can do anything. Mm. Oh my God, I'm so emotional. <laughs> I'm just like, whoa, so beautiful. It just makes me think one of these birth videos that I watched a woman in a, a home birth in a birthing tub and she's like crowning and she's on all fours. Oh my God, I'm going to get so emotional. God, I love and emotion. Her husband is like, or her partner has his head to her forehead Mm -hmm. (laughs) and his face is just one of like such empathy because there's nothing he can do except for hold space for her Mm -hmm. so he's just with her Mm -hmm. and she's like roaring and he's just like holding the intensity while she's like like roaring (laughs) this kid into the world and I don't know why but that imprinted me I've watched a lot of birth videos (laughs) but that I just fucking bawled my eyes out because I was like wow, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, for a man, speaking of being the protector, to just 
to just hold. There's nothing he can do Mm -hmm. other than love you in that moment and not back away from the intensity. Mm -hmm. And I think for any woman, it's like one of our teachers said when Patrick and I were in practice the other day, he's like, you know, for a man to complete is for it to end. (laughs) And for a woman, for something to be fixed, he said, fixed. For a man, something to be fixed means for it to end. For a woman, oftentimes, and this is a generalization, but it felt true for us, to be fixed means to be fully seen while you're fully expressed. And he's like, and both are true because if you are fully seen while fully expressing, it ends. (laughs) And so just that witnessing of this woman in the fullest moment of intensity, the baby's crowning through her. She like that, that I imagine is the most intensity a woman will ever experience in her life. Mm -hmm. And to have her partner right fucking there. And Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going anywhere and I'm not Mm -hmm. backing away. I'm not trying to make it end. (laughs) I am just going to witness you in this intensity. And there was just something about that energetic that I was like, is so moved by and just, yeah, hearing you talk about this beautiful process. What I don't want is for any woman listening who didn't have a home birth or didn't have the birth that she wanted to feel um, bad or inferior. And so is there anything no. that you could say to mamas who are listening that might be feeling that way? Yeah, there's zero shame in this conversation. This conversation yeah. is purely a heart-centered conversation. So I I always feel that same way too, because obviously what I talk about is home birth because I'm a home birth midwife and it's what I'm passionate about. And what yeah. I always, always, always come back to saying is, I don't give a crap if you give birth like outside in the middle of a stream underneath the stars or if you schedule your C-section. The most important piece of this equation is that you felt empowered, that you felt held, that you felt seen and that everything that you needed, you were listened to. And I recently just told a story about a birth that I was at and she had planned a home birth. Um, and I can bring in this whole nother loop right here, but what we know is, is about one in three women are sexually abused in our, and throughout the world, I shouldn't even say our culture. And that usually comes up during birth because you, you lose control of those sexual organs. Like there, there's something that like actually like doesn't turn off. Like it, like your body is moving through this energy that you can't be like, okay, turn that off now I'm done. And it's the same thing that usually women find themselves in with sexual abuse. And so I am very in tune with women and I go through it throughout the prenatal period. And sometimes women it's subconscious, like they don't even know that there was sexual abuse and sometimes it comes up in in birth and so this this woman had disclosed to me her sexual abuse and she had a very extensive history of the sexual abuse and it was when she was younger and I could start to tell by the sounds of her voice in labor what age she was at because her her voice sounded like that age that she was sexually abused at and in the middle of that experience um, it was really hard it was really hard to hold space it was really hard to witness and it was something that she had to be in her vulnerability and I couldn't rescue her from anything. And she looked at me and she stared deep into my soul. And she said, I want a C-section. She had already had a vaginal birth and this birth was working. Okay. Her first vaginal birth, she was numb for. So it was a completely different experience of intensity. And I said, what did you just say? And she said, I want a C-section. And so in that moment, I questioned nothing. 
I said, let's go to the hospital and have a C-section. And I had called ahead and I spoke to the OB and I told her the situation that was happening and I explained the sexual abuse. And I said, I'm coming in for a C-section. There is no medical indication for this. This mom needs to reclaim the authority of her body in this moment. And thank God on the other end of that phone was an OB that actually understood the incredible intensity and the gift that she would give her in this moment. And we walked in and they had an OR ready and she walked back into that C-section. And that was one of the most empowered births that I have ever witnessed in my career. Now, probably people would never think that. Like if if you asked me, what's the most empowered birth that you've ever seen? And I said that most people would be like, what is she talking about? But no, it's, I get it. But it's really when you do. have that full autonomy and full sovereignty over your body and you are making the decisions that are right for you and your baby. So yes. be it a home birth, be it a hospital yes. birth, be it a birth under the stars in the middle of Boulder, Colorado in the mountains. <laughs> it's what's right for you and your baby in that moment. Mm, oh my God, I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think what it's highlighting is like women just need to be listened to and supported. And I'm so grateful there are birth workers like you who are just listening and believing women. Yeah. Like really that's empowering women, giving them the information, like you said, safety and connection. Oh my goddess. But yeah, so beautiful. So I would love to ask some of these questions. Yes, that my let's husband go through does. it. Let's go through it. You know what I love so much is when we connected and I'm like, okay, like, is there something specific you want me to talk about? And I sent over some talking points and we're like, we're just going to flow. And it's so beautiful, this conversation that we're having right now. It's just like so authentic and organic. And I'm so grateful to be on this space with you right now. Oh, thank you for being here, my love. I love that about the feminine within all beings, irrespective of gender, which is like the self-organizing. Yeah like you know you just we just flow we just self-organize it's so beautiful yeah (laughs) so I think you may have answered this but Patrick's question so Patrick's first question is what are the indicators that a home birth is not appropriate as far as like physical indications or medical indications So every state is going to be different within their own jurisdiction of licensure for midwives. And um, the state of California has a certain guidelines for women that can like, you know, they're allowed to give birth at home. And most of the time they're fully within reason. Like I mentioned a few earlier, like if you have like a crazy cardiac condition or um, like there's like, you know, liver disease or like hepatitis or, um, you know, like it's stuff that you're like a health problem that you've been dealing with chronically throughout your life. Um, And those are the, those are the big ones. Now, with that being said, there's there is always a little bit of wiggle room if you're providing individualized care. Like obviously the law, like there's some things that are hard, no. But when you have midwives that have collaborative care obstetricians that believe in the normal physiological experience and they believe in home birth, then there's opportunities to say like, okay, like this is perfect example twins and breaches. So the state of California says that midwives can't provide care and service for women that are having a breach birth, which is where the baby comes butt first or feet first, um, or twins or multiple. So anything over two babies. And that happened in 2014. So the state took that away from us and we're like, 
but this is still normal. Like this is still a normal variation of birth. And so um, I closely work with an OB, his name's Dr. Stuart, Stuart Fishbein. He's birthing instincts on Instagram. And he is like, reteach breach. Like breach is not safe to the medical community because we've lost the education behind it. And if we have care providers that have the education and knowledge around it, breach birth is safe. And it's the same thing that goes for twin birth. Like if you are equipped and you know what you're doing with twins, then it is perfectly safe to have twins at home within reason, of course. But if all of those things mm-hmm. line up, then great. So I have the ability to work with him in that sense where some of these higher risk situations can be individualized and be a home birth. So it just really has mm-hmm. to be this open field of communication that you have with your with your care provider, but also what the jurisdiction of their licensure states. Because I know that there's some states that breach is allowed. Um, so okay. it really just kind of depends state by state. Okay, I love that. So his next question is, what is the maximum distance a hospital should be from you if you are having a home birth? <laughs> he wants the masculine strategic information. <laughs> so funny. So that's to be debated. Um, it okay. depends on, okay, so step back prior to the hospital setting. Like hospitals, birth got brought to the hospital. 1950s, about 95% of women gave birth in the hospital prior to 1900 everybody was giving birth at home. So if we move out of this blip in time, like the past 70 years is a blip in our evolutionary cycle, okay? So that means for 70 years, we've had access to hospitals. Before that, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, nobody had access to those hospitals. And so it's one of those things that, yes, now we live in a world where we do have access to these things and we do have to marry both of these types of levels of, of medicine that are given. And, you know, for me, it's it's like a no-brainer. I live in Orange County, California, the closest, the furthest away hospital is 10 minutes from me. But Mm -hmm. I know midwives that work in rural Montana and they're four hours away from a hospital and they still do home births. And then on the contrary Mm -hmm. of that is that I know uh, midwives that work in Africa and sometimes these women like ride 10 hours on the back of a motorcycle to get to their facility. And so it's like, it's such a a Western like thought process because if we kind of like take out like the convenience of living in a Western world, like birth still works, you know, like, like it yeah. still works. And so um, I know where you guys live and you're well within the limits of a hospital very close to you. And it's, it's just, you know, finding the care provider that works within that system and can guide you through that system if you were need to, if you, if you needed to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause we're 30 minutes, we're up in the mountains, but that's one of yeah, his 30 um, minutes is not far for me. Point. I mean, thir- yeah, I, I'm 30 minutes in traffic here in Orange County, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he said, if you've got a home birth and you have, and you have a backup hospital or the hospital that you, if you have to go to, um, do you have to do anything in, in advance to tee them up? <laughs> that's a, that's a great question. So, um, it depends again, it's going to be different state to state. So I'm going to speak to California with, with my situation. So in 2014, what the state of California did is they removed the um, physician supervision clause. So prior to 2014, they said that every midwife had to have a supervising physician. And what ended up happening is that 
physicians that were supervising midwives lost their malpractice insurance. And so it was actually impossible to have backup physicians. And we were all really grateful that that clause got taken out in 2014 and they changed the verbiage to collaborative care physicians. And so for me, um, the, in this, the county of Orange County, like I could be way south and my collaborative care physician is like 45 minutes away or vice versa. And if I am actually in need of medical services, I'm going to the closest hospital. And so. Right. In order to pre-register um, for a hospital, you have to have a physician at that hospital. And most physicians won't take you if they know that you're having a home birth because of that malpractice insurance clause. And so it's not oh. like they can, I mean, I know there's some doctors that do this, but it's very rare that you find a doctor that's like, yes, go have a home birth. Everything will be great. I'll back you up. Because anything that's written is them acknowledging that they're saying that it's safe. And then, then you know, if something were to happen, then they're held liable for that. And so um, it really just depends on what the relationship is with the midwives there in the hospital setting. But it's against the law for a hospital not to take you in any sort of an emergency. And childbirth is considered an emergency within that scope of care. So every hospital has to take you. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll be treated with love and respect. You know, there is a lot of animosity towards people that... um, the animosity is there for for people that are choosing home birth. So it's it just depends on the situation. But in some ways, I feel like it's gotten way better. In some ways, it's gotten way yeah. worse. And I don't know if that's just me as a human evolving and not buying into the drama that's created within some of those practices, or if yeah. it's just a reflection of what's happening with within the healthcare system across the board. Feel like if I had to get transferred to a hospital in an ideal world, not that that would be ideal, but in an ideal world, the midwife and my husband, I would not want any medical staff to talk to me directly. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, but it, is that they have allowed? to. No, they have to talk oh. to you because you're considered their patient. So right. they, you know, like it depends on what the situation is, but they actually have to get consent from you, which is good. I think right. that that yeah, should be the yeah. case. Um, but it's 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 one of those situations that. I believe every birth is a sacred contract and mm-hmm. every experience that we're shown in our birth experiences is the lessons that need to be learned in order to parent that child. And so yes. in those situations, I feel that mom does receive a different level of experience and that experience weaves into her sacred contract for parenting them, yes. for mothering that child throughout its life. So it's it's all That's part beautiful. of it. You know, like it's not, I yeah. don't villainize those experiences I use them as really big teaching points and learning lessons yeah absolutely I imagine you just have to be prepped how to advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now it's um, so interesting because with with COVID like I wasn't allowed in the hospital from 2020 to 2022 Um, and so anytime which is rare like I rarely have to transfer to the hospital but like anytime I had to send someone to the hospital it was like setting them to like a pack of wolves. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what's waiting for them on the other end of that. And so that's when like FaceTime became like a really beautiful thing. And so um, I was able to still be an advocate, not physically there, but I was able to still be there, you know, FaceTime wise and go over any questions they had with what the staff was asking them. Oh my gosh. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank God. May everyone be blessed with an angel (laughs) (laughs) like you who can help them. So, um, Next, Patrick, question. If you, uh, oh, what preparatory steps 
um, to take planning your plan B. I think we just went through that kind of, but um, what are the most common things that go wrong during home birth? Another great question. So um, a lot of the time, what people don't realize is that any sort of emergency that can happen, midwives are trained in. So so most of the time, we don't even have to transfer in for those certain situations. Um, <clears throat> I'll narrow in on a couple. So the first thing for first-time moms is exhaustion. That's like the biggest reason I transfer first-time moms in. And it's because it's the first time you're doing this. You're super exciting. You've never experienced this before. And like you are awaiting this baby. And so, you know, contractions start super early labor. And what I see, not all first-time moms, but a lot of first-time moms is like, oh my gosh, I'm in labor. I'm, I'm so excited. I can't sleep. And then like two days later, active labor kicks in and they've been up for two nights. And then at that point, they're Oof. just exhausted. And so yeah. I've definitely had my fair share of first time moms transferring in for an epidural to then in turn help them sleep. And then they end up with vaginal birth, but it's not my most favorite thing to do. I'm all, like, I'm such like, go to bed. You know what I mean? Like, like if you think Sleep. you're in labor, go to bed. Just just try to rest as much as you can. It's such an important piece to that. Um, another reason that we transfer in um, can be like respiratory distress for babies. So with that being said, um, midwives, and I'm speaking to myself, not all of us are trained the same, but midwives are trained in neonatal resuscitation. So I have to recertify every two years based on what the American Academy of Pediatrics and the... Um, um, gosh, it's like some heart, I think it's American Heart Association. They come up with these new guidelines. And every two years we go through it. I bring all resuscitation equipment into the house, including an oxygen tank. And if there is some sort of reason that baby needs to have a little extra assistance at birth, most of the time, it's fine. We do it at the birth and baby comes around just fine. Um, a lot of people talk about APGAR scores. An APGAR score is that is something that's given to a baby at one minute and five minutes after birth. And this is kind of like their like report card for how they're doing after birth. And what people don't realize is that it's given at a minute so that baby can have that natural pause and that innate transition from their fluid filled, you know, ethereal earth or womb body into their earth body. And so we give them that minute of, of transition time and we let them come into their bodies. Um, if we need to provide any sort of resuscitation um, outside of that five to 10 minute range, then we usually will transfer into a hospital setting to make sure that there's not anything that like we couldn't see with like out of chest x-ray or an echocardiogram or something like that, like some sort of cardiac condition. But that's usually just the case like for observation like we're going in just to make sure that we're not you know missing something that's there for baby because a full-term healthy baby should come out vigorous and healthy and breathing um, another one that is a potential for transferring to the hospital um again i know it varies state to state because different states can have different sorts of medication that we give at home. But in the state of California, I can give um, anti-hemorrhagic medication, the same that they have at the hospital setting. So if a woman is hemorrhaging, then usually I have all of the things I need at home to stop that and not need to facilitate a hospital experience or transfer. Um, but I know that there are states that that's not the case and they don't, they're not allowed to carry certain types of medication. So that will vary state to state, but most of those emergency situations can be handled at home before we have to transfer in. Amazing. And 
How many, like what percentage of births or how many out of a hundred would you say have to transfer? So I have to do state stats every year. And typically my uh, stats for first time moms is usually about four to 5% of them transfer into the hospital and and Mm non-emergency, like they're going in for pain relief because they're exhausted. Um, At any given year, most years, I don't have emergency. I'm knocking on wood, you know, um, emergency transfers. Um, It's less than 1% for sure for emergency transfers. And then my Mm -hmm. C-section rate varies anywhere from like 2 to 5% on any given year. Amazing. Yeah. That's like very low. It's very low. But I have low risk women. So I always say I have the cream of the crop. They're coming in healthy. They're low risk. We enter through this pregnancy throughout that low risk manner and they're going into the birth process low risk and healthy as well. Yeah. I imagine that makes a big difference. Yeah. Huge. Um, If you're an extra cautious type of person. (laughs) I love your husband. He sounds so cute. My husband is British too. So it's so funny to like. Yeah. (laughs) Brits are a special breed. I love him so much. If you're an extra cautious type of person, what type of people should be present at the home birth? He's like, do I need to hire like an obstetrician? Do I need to have like an emergency? Whoever, who who has to be there? So I'm going to take you through... um, Um, just a quick visualization. So just like Mm -hmm. imagine right now, if you've ever maybe personally seen any sort of mammal give birth, or even if you've seen it on Instagram, usually what happens is once the house has gotten still in the middle of the night, and if there's other children in the house, the other children are asleep. And it's just in that moment of stillness when our hormone levels start to go up. And it's the same as sex. It's not like you would be having sex in the middle of a busy day with a bunch of people coming in and out of your house. And the same thing is if you're going to have a bowel movement. Um, it's, you know, like you, you would literally do that when the house is still. So just imagine like this little mama kitty that's just full of life. And she retreats back usually into like the corner of a closet or underneath a bed. And then the family wakes up in the morning and there's kittens. And so what we know about this safety connection that has to be present for a woman to have a normal physiological birth is that if people are observing her and they're staring at her, that it (laughs) takes away from that level of, it's same. I mean, like think about having an orgasm with 10 people staring at you, (laughs) right? It's the same thing. So it needs to be in this space where everything is just totally like quiet and unobserved. And so there's been so many situations where like, I've literally like pulled a mom back into like the corner of a closet and been like, you need to just go like, go cuddle with your husband. Like, like I'm, I can hear you if you holler for me, like go and have Mm -hmm. that experience. And on the flip side, like I have had um, people that have hired OBs and like, I'm like, it's great if we need them. Like if I need to call them, then they can be there. But like, they don't need to be here for a normal experience. And I remember one of the dads, he looked at me and he was like, we don't need to call that doctor, do we? And I was like, nope. And and <laughs> not because I didn't love that doctor, but we just didn't need an extra body in that space. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for, for someone like you guys, where, you know, you would, um, I'm assuming would be hiring a midwife and somebody that you really trust to bring into your space, then they're equipped with knowing when they need an extra layer 
of our level of care to to call that in and facilitate that in a manner where you guys are making that decision together and you're still feeling empowered. Um, but it's not like you need an ambulance sitting outside or waiting, anything like that. Like, like you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like he wants to bring the hospital setting to the home. I'm like, baby, that kind of defeats the purpose. It does, but like, you know, the equipment that I bring into a home birth is very similar to that of a standard labor and delivery room. I have all the anti-hemorrhagic medication. I have all the resuscitation equipment. You know, if you tear, I can stitch you at home. I have the lidocaine that I bring in to numb. Like so much of that comes in and midwives are that safeguard for that normal process at home. You know, most of the time it's an experienced midwife that's done it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And, and you get to trust her level of expertise, but you get to come back to knowing that like, if you start thinking that something's wrong, then we get to tune into that and see if it's a fear or if it's something that the baby's actually communicating to you. And those things are like, okay, let's go to the hospital. It's not about home birth. It's about keeping this safe space and, and connected. Mm, my gosh. I love this so much. I feel like we're going to have to do a part two. I love it. I know we're, we're, we're going over right now. <laughs> There's just so much here. Well, if people are really connected with you today, as I'm sure they have, where can they connect more with you and your work? So the best way to find me is through my website, which is the remembering.co. Um, I have a bunch of online courses that I'm recording right now and I'm in the process of recording some affirmations um, so that's the best way to find me there and then always on Instagram which most of the time I'm shadow banned so you have to spell out my full name oh. <laughs> um, oh which is Lindsay Milis and Milis is spelled funny so just look it up on the podcast for how it's spelled but you can find me there for sure I know it's like if someone's if 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 a woman is trying to be silenced, I really really mm-hmm. want to hear what she has to say mm-hmm. <laughs> personally yeah yeah <laughs> it's you. interesting Oh my God, this world we live in. Thank you so You're much so for the work welcome. that you do. You're such a beautiful you human. It. I'm so grateful to be in this space with you. Thank you so much. Oh, such a blessing. I hope more soon. And for those listening, you heard it here. Run, don't walk, Instagram, website. Go connect with this wonderful woman and her work and share this podcast. Maybe you have a friend who's pregnant or thinking about conceiving maybe you want to share it with your husband anyone you think might benefit from this work and we'll see you very soon